The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Friday edition of PFTPM Week 4 began last night and... Oh boy, Sunday night football. I don't care how much we hype it. It still won't be enough. Miles Simmons, Mike Florio for the next hour as Antonio Brown prepares to return to Gillette Stadium. Hello, Miles. How are you? That caught me off guard, man. I'm doing great, Mike. How are you? I'm doing well. And let me tell you, I really do think Antonio Brown could be a factor in this. He had a very short stay with the Patriots, never actually played a game at Gillette Stadium as a member of the Patriots. Acrimonious split, had some things to say about Robert Kraft, had some litigation over whether or not he'd get all of his money. And there was a very immediate and strong relationship between Brady and Brown. And I have a feeling Tom Brady is going to find him on Sunday night, possibly in the end zone at some point during the game. So anyway, um, do you think because I, I look, I don't want to be unfair to past big games. Is okay. this the biggest regular season game that you can remember in your 30 long years of life? Um, It's certainly up there. And it, it, yeah, because it, you, you don't usually have a guy who's won so many championships coming back to play the team that he played for and won all those championships with. So, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty darn big regular season game. I, I can say that. I mean, because it's not like it's just uh, two undefeated teams or two teams that are, you know, one is undefeated and then the other is the 8-1 and one or whatever it was. Like, I'm talking about when the Rams and Chiefs played a couple of years ago. That's one of the biggest ones that, that comes to mind. And you, know, you had a really, really good offense going up against that, that Rams defense and the fact that those two really good offenses. So yeah, I think that it's probably one of the biggest of my lifetime. What about you, Mike? You have a few more years yeah. on me. Thank you. Thank yeah. You. But we were both one Friday closer to death. I you didn't mention it at the top. It yeah, there you go. No, I didn't. Yeah. Um, I'll mention it a few more times. I actually, have two games that come to mind, and I found a okay. PFT story from December 2 of 2015 that was written on the 30-year anniversary of one of the biggest regular season games in my lifetime. It was Bears at Dolphins in 85 when the Bears oh. were getting closer and closer to being undefeated. The Dolphins ultimately delivering the only defeat that the Bears suffered that year. The rematch was disrupted, coincidentally, by the Patriots, and then the Bears kicked the crap out of them in Super Bowl Twenty. That game, along with Giants 49ers Monday Night Football in 1990, that was a significant audience. Well, and as it turned out, the rating was higher for Bears Dolphins, but the audience for Giants 49ers was 41 million. The audience for Bears Dolphins was 39 million. I don't know what kind of an audience this game is going to generate on Sunday night. I think at least 30. If not yeah. 35, I won't be surprised if it hits 40. 
Well, you know what? Another one that I guess I would nominate after you, you mentioned those two uh, would be Giants Patriots from 2007 week 17 when the Patriots are trying to go undefeated in the regular season. And then of course they end up seeing the giants again and the giants end up winning that game um, for the super bowl. So, I mean, I, it, it's just one of these games that the storylines, you know, as we don't necessarily like to say as writers, but they kind of write themselves, right? Because it's just that big and everybody involved in it is trying to make it smaller than it is. But I just, I don't think that you really can given the magnitude of everything that Tom Brady did when he was there and how he exited. The biggest audience since 1995, when there was a 35.7 million person uh, viewership for a Thanksgiving game was that Patriots-Giants game, December 29, 2007. Remember, it was going to be only NFL Network. People yeah. lost their minds, or another four-letter word, oh. not starting with every D. And it was broadcast on CBS and NBC and NFL Network. Total audience of 34.5 wow. million. That's the high watermark, really, since that Giants 49ers game from 1990. I think this gets past 34 and a half. I think it falls somewhere between 34 and a half and 40. I'll say okay. 37 and a half million is the over under if we're taking action at the points bet sportsbook. 37 and a half million is the over under because I don't know whether I'd go over or under that. That's that's a good number because I'd probably flip a coin whether it goes over or under. All right, we're already over uh, seven and a half minutes and we haven't even got to any of the things we're supposed to get to. Hello, welcome in. We have 52 minutes now to get you up to speed on everything happening in the NFL. And the top story comes from Buccaneers Patriots because in addition to Tom Brady, in addition to Antonio Brown, Rob Gronkowski is going back to New England unless he isn't. Rib injury has him listed as doubtful. Now, Miles, they changed the categories a few years ago. It used to be probable, mm -hmm. questionable, doubtful and out it's now questionable doubtful and out and as best i understand it and i'm not sure that i or anyone else understands it questionable is basically 99 to 50 percent likely to play doubtful yes. is basically 49.9 all the way down to zero doubtful yeah. doesn't get used as much as it could or should because if you're just a hair under 50 50 you're doubtful and maybe doubtful Maybe it's just a little bit, just a little bit of the gamesmanship in which the Patriots always engage being thrown back at them by the Buccaneers. Now, that said, Gronkowski didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. He was spotted on the practice field today, but officially did not practice. I'd be stunned if he doesn't play. But doubtful, when a guy is listed as doubtful, typically he doesn't play. We'll see if he goes on Sunday night. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, and I think that you characterize uh, the explanations of questionable, doubtful, and out uh, pretty well there. Uh, you know, 1 to 50%, or excuse me, 1 to 49.9%, you know, if you're talking about doubtful, and then 50% uh, or higher if you're talking about questionable. Um, but I, I do think that Gronkowski will at some point be on the field just because of, again, the magnitude of the return, right? You know, he was there for so many years, caught so many passes, especially those from Tom Brady. And I think that there probably is an emotional factor that Gronkowski would like to be there. And he would like to also play alongside Tom Brady. And he would like to be a part of the victory. Now, when a guy doesn't practice, especially when he doesn't practice Wednesday, Thursday, Friday then becomes the day where you're like, all right, if he's not out there, he's probably not going to play. 
Gronkowski is the kind of player where he's got so much experience that you think, all right, he doesn't necessarily need to practice in order to play, especially if he's been involved in the walkthroughs. Now, if he can do that Thursday, excuse me, Saturday, and then if he gets on the plane, right, to go up there, then, yeah, I think that there's still a decent chance that he's going to be out there on the field. But it, it certainly does affect the offense, whether or not Gronkowski is there, simply because of the incredible chemistry that he's got with Tom Brady. And we've already seen a good examples of that um, over the course of this season. And you touched on the next decision point in this progression to Sunday night. Will he travel with the team on Saturday? Every week there is a handful of players. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but players who are questionable or doubtful, typically it's even questionable, who don't make the trip and are downgraded to out. It's part of the gamesmanship. It's legitimate. Hey, this guy's questionable. Well, we decided to leave him home. He's no longer questionable. He's out, and the Raiders got in trouble one time with Kalechi Osemele being listed as questionable, not traveling, and they didn't downgrade him to out. So that will happen if they decide to leave Gronk home. I think they're going to bring him. I think they're going to extend this, unless there's some concern about him flying in a pressurized cabin, being at altitude, et cetera, with the rib injury. I think he makes the trip, and then the question becomes, is there a way to get him ready to go for the game? And he may have to get past an encounter with Dr. Needle without a collapsed lung like Tyrod Taylor last year if he gets a pain-killing injection so he can play. I mean, rib injuries are very, very painful. And if he does play, unless he's completely numb, Miles, he's going to be affected by it. And maybe we won't see him blocking the way that he ordinarily does. Maybe we just see him lined up in the slot. I don't know. But it's a serious injury, potentially, especially if you've got a, a rib that's as, as they once said with Donovan McNabb, he had a rib and it wasn't sticky. The rib was potentially in danger of coming un, undone. We just don't – we don't know. We don't know. X-rays supposedly negative, but you know what? They were supposedly negative for Tua also. We, we don't know, and that's part of the game the teams play, and we'll find out. At, at this point, we just sit back and we wait and see whatever the truth may be if we ever even get the truth, Miles. Yeah, it's true. And look, I mean, I was there at that game on Sunday when he was hit really, really hard um, by the Rams. And they, it was just a form tackle. But, you know, it was one of those plays where he catches the ball and then boom, you got the linebacker right there. And he just makes a perfect form tackle. And sometimes when that happens, it's like one of those car crashes, you know, that we always talk about in football. That's exactly what happened there. And Gronkowski just didn't really have enough time to protect himself, probably as he would have liked before the linebacker comes in there and gets him down to the ground. So listen, I, I think that whatever happens with Gronkowski, yeah, he's definitely going to be playing with pain. Obviously, he walked off the field and was able to, to at least get those x-rays that were negative but I, like you said rib injury is very very painful and unless he really feels like he can be effective probably shouldn't be out there especially because it's not like you know the the buccaneers only have him at tight end they've got oj howard they've got cameron Braith. those two guys really know how to play and they know how to play well so they don't necessarily need gronkowski to be out there in order to win but I'm sure that Gronkowski personally would like to be out there to help the, 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 the Buccaneers win. I want to say Patriots every time still when I talk about Tom Brady and a team. I wrote it down last week almost in a story, and then I had to delete it, even though I was literally watching the Buccaneers. I don't know why this continues to happen. So that's why I just stumbled over my words. Anyway, Mike. 
No, I, I've done the same thing multiple times. I remember last year, I think the Patriots were getting ready to play the Broncos. And and somebody said, oh, this week it's Patriots-Broncos. I said, no, they already played. The Patriots already played the Broncos. And I was thinking of the Buccaneers and Tom Brady. I, I, it, I, it took me a long time to get used to it. And I remember how jarring it was the first time I saw him in that uniform. Uh, Gio Bernard also out with a knee injury. So they're down a running back. It'll be Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones. And Scotty Miller on IR with a toe problem. That bumps up Jalen Darden, Tyler Johnson. Of course, they've got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Antonio Brown. And you mentioned Howard and Bray. They've got plenty of weapons. I, I am fascinated by whether or not they break out, from New England's perspective, the Super Bowl 25 when Bill Belichick was with the Giants, Super Bowl 36 when, obviously, he was coach of the Patriots and he won his first one as a head coach. That defensive playbook where you drop six, seven, eight guys into coverage and force Tom Brady to hand off instead of throwing the ball down the field. Take away what the offense does best. What the Buccaneers clearly do best is pass without Gronk, without Gio Bernard, who does a great job catching passes out of the backfield. That diminishes what the Buccaneers are able to do. Defensively, Jamel Dean is out with a knee injury. Carlton Davis is a little banged up, but he has no designation. They already are without Sean Murphy bunting. Richard Sherman, who maybe is already in on the whole misdirection rope-a-dope thing made it seemingly clear earlier this week that he wouldn't play on Sunday well now he will play he will dress they need him he may not be ready or as ready as he'd like to be but Miles sometimes next man up means man that just came through the door Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and Arians was talking about this um, when he spoke to the media today. He basically said, yeah, we'll dress him. We don't necessarily know how much we're going to play him, but we definitely want him up just in case. And when you have a veteran corner like Richard Sherman, who may or may not need the whole week or two weeks in order to get into football shape, you at least know that you can put him out there in case of emergency, and he'll do an adequate job of something, right? It's not like it's some undrafted rookie that you picked up off the street and you're saying to yourself, oh man, this guy's never done it before. He's never been at the highest level. He's never had championship competition. I think Richard Sherman, because he's done all of those different things, he'll be all right if they've got to put him out there. I don't think it would necessarily be an ideal situation, but if he's got to go, then he can go out there and he can handle himself as a veteran. And uh, one of the things most overlooked, I think, in the run-up to this game, for good reason, we're not talking about the New England offense. We're not talking about Mac Jones. We're not talking about what Josh McDaniels is going to do against the Todd Bowles defense to try to score more points than the Buccaneers score. That's the ultimate metric. You want to go analytics, number one, score more points than the other team. That's how you win the game, and uh, uh, yeah. Mm. Hey, old but if school, the if the baby, you can't if score the bucket, fewer points and still win. Mm, that's analysis that's you true. can't get anywhere else from Mike Florio, right there, guys. <laughs> I've yet to find a game in all my years where many years you can't win. Thank you. If you don't score more points than the other team, high level stuff here. That's why you pay so much to see this show which is actually free um andy dalton in chicago questionable to play for the bears due to the knee injury they suffered 12 days ago matt Nagy says he's going to decide on the starting quarterback on sunday oh the lions are very concerned they, they oh, oh is john unitas going to show up um <laughs> I, there's still a chance it's going to be nick Foles. now 
I think Matt Nagy, to his credit, he has learned that you can't use Justin Fields the way you used Justin Fields last week. He acknowledged the criticism was fair. I wonder how many more plays they're going to work in to their playbook and actually utilize where Justin Fields moves around some and uses his mobility. But this is a game the Bears should win. It's going to be raining, high 90% chance of rain. Jared Goff, wet ball, tiny little baby hands. I wasn't going to say it, but I said it. Uh, They should be able to win this game with defense and a very conservative offense, regardless of who the quarterback is, Miles. You would think so, yes. And, but they have to get their run game going better than it was last week. You can't have the, the same sort of deal where it doesn't matter who's in the backfield and receiving the ball from your center, right? Like, you, you have to be able to have a better game plan. I'm curious as to how the reps were distributed this week because they listed Andy Dalton as a limited participant in every single practice, and Justin Fields with the hand injury – he was a full participant in every single practice. Now, we're not going to figure that out unless somebody reports it over the course of the next couple of days, how those reps were distributed, because I think that's going to tell us a lot about who the starting quarterback might be. I don't really believe that starting quarterbacks are game-time decisions, unless you know you have somebody who is much, much, much better um, than your backup and you know, you're in almost a playoff situation and it's like, all right, get this injection and then boom, you're going to be able to effectively run the offense, right? Because look at how we heard about Carson Wentz last week. It wasn't that, oh man, maybe Carson Wentz will somehow be able to, no, it became very clear over the course of the week that they were giving Carson Wentz, perhaps he was back at practice and, you know, they didn't want to play Jacob Eason or Brett Hundley. So that was clear that they wanted him to be the QB. It's not as clear this week, for Chicago, probably because they want to engage in some of that gamesmanship. And frankly, it is a bit of a competitive advantage if you don't know whether you're really preparing for Andy Dalton or Justin Fields, at least if they're utilizing Justin Fields the way he should be utilized, right? Like where he's using his legs more. He is getting out of the pocket more on design bootlegs. You get more zone read looks and different things like that. That's a different skill set than Andy Dalton. And it's something different that the Lions have to prepare for. So I, I tend to agree with you that the Bears should win this game, but who knows? You know, I mean, you got the Lions last week. They played Baltimore really, really tough and really tight. Only allowed 116 yards rushing to that team, which is the top rushing team in the league. If if Chicago doesn't come out with a better game plan, maybe Detroit goes in there and steals one. Has Jared Goff ever worn gloves in the elements? I'm, I'm not being sarcastic here. I'm just I wondering if there's say... a way to improve his grip on the football. I want to say in 18, I feel like- um, when the Rams went to Chicago and it was very cold, I believe he used a glove at that point on his right hand. Yeah. If not, um, he may have done it in a different situation, too. And I'm not as clear on the last two years, but at least when I cover him for um, the time, I believe he did it in Chicago in 18 because it was super cold that night. Yeah, and and that was the first time this narrative really popped up that maybe if you get him in the elements, he's not the same guy. He needs to have everything perfect because, man. And, you know, there's a chance they don't make those NFL gloves in a child's medium either, so maybe that's why. My God, Mike. I'm just having fun. It's another Friday closer to death. I'm trying to to enjoy myself. What's next? Titans will not be enjoying themselves in New York uh, when it comes to their passing game. Both A.J. Brown and Julio Jones are out for week four. 
They may wish they had kept Corey Davis around. He's going to be looking for a little revenge. They let him go in free agency. He plays for the Jets now. You know, the Titans are 2-1. and one. They looked awful week one. I, I still would like to think that they have enough firepower with Derrick Henry to beat the Jets. Their defense, I know, isn't great. And they aren't going to have Bud Dupree. But I don't know. Maybe I should be more concerned about it. I just have not been impressed at all with the Jets this year. And they have more injury issues. They don't have Marcus May. Elijah Moore, one of the rookie receivers, still out with a concussion. I, I, I just don't know that the Jets – I'm surprised the Jets are as bad as they are. I expected the Jaguars to maybe struggle. I didn't expect this out of the Jets. And I, I, you can take away half the team for the Titans, and I'd still think they'd win. Well, the Jets, I think part of it is just perception because their offense has been so putrid that, you know, you just they're not helping their defense out at all. But when you look at it, I mean, if you, the, what the Jets are ranked right now, they're 10th in yards allowed on defense and they're 14th in points allowed. So, I mean, it's not like they're entirely a dumpster fire on defense like they are on offense right now. I, I think that I, I think I agree with you in that they should still the Titans should still go in to the Meadowlands and beat them, right? But I just I don't feel like it may be as far away as some people might think. I think that this is probably going to be one of those ugly games where it may take Derrick Henry a little bit of time in order to really look like Derrick Henry because they're going to be able to stack the box when you don't have. Julio Jones out there when you don't have AJ Brown out there, right? You're maybe going to rely a little bit more on a guy like Josh um, Reynolds who came over for the Ram from the Rams in free agency. And he's in line to get a start this weekend. And he hasn't really played very much at all so far this year for the Titans. So again, I think that they should win, but it's probably going to be one of those uglier games, you know, like a 13 to 10 and like 18 to 15, with all kinds of different field goals and stuff like that. It, it might be one of those games for the Titans. Yeah, I agree with you. And they have the Jaguars coming up next week, so they should be able to fatten Ooh. up their record, even if they have these injury issues. Other than the Jaguars, to the extent they care, trying to avoid only the third 20-game losing streak in league history if they can beat the Titans next week. Again, most of the people in the organization weren't there last year, but plenty of guys on that team were. And to the extent they care about those things, I wouldn't want to have my name associated with only the third team in 102 NFL seasons to lose 20 games in a row. So uh, the Titans may need to be ready for that. The Broncos had better be ready for Lamar Jackson because even though he didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday with his back flaring up, he was back on the practice field today. Full participation in practice. Questionable for Sunday. There's no way this guy is going to miss that game. <laughs> Sounds like they've gotten the back under control. And uh, I don't know, maybe he'll wish that he had – the way the Broncos are playing, I'm still surprised the Broncos are favored. I think the Ravens will win. Uh, I feel more comfortable about that belief now that Lamar Jackson returned to practice and it looks like he's going to play. Yeah, I mean, I do too. Uh, but this really is the first team that is somewhat competitive that Denver is going to play. I mean, you got to remember their three wins have come against teams that are now 0 and 9, or excuse me, 0 and 10 actually now that the Jaguars lost last night. And the other two victories came over the Jets and the Giants. So those aren't really the teams that you can say, oh, yeah, we've really proved something over those two teams. But that defense has still been very, very good. And you got to play the teams on your schedule and you've got to beat the teams on your schedule if you want to set yourself up for a playoff run. So I'm not really trying to knock the Broncos too hard for winning the games that have been on their schedule. But if they really want to say like, yeah, we are also contenders here 
in this AFC West. And we have really propelled the AFC West into becoming perhaps the best division in football. Then you got to go out there and you got to stop Lamar Jackson from running the ball. And you've got to make sure that those receivers on the outside don't look as good. I mean, it looks like um, Bateman could be back. Boykin could be back as well after they had good weeks of practice that Baltimore would have to put them on the 53-man roster and get them officially off of IR to do that. But Hollywood Brown also can't drop the ball there, right? And so it's going to be interesting to see whether or not Baltimore is going to be able to run the ball more effectively than they did last week uh, against the Detroit Lions and just how well uh, Lamar Jackson is going to play after dealing with the back issue all week. I've mentioned this a couple times this week, not in this show, but at PFT, and I don't know if you saw it, and I don't oh know if you appreciate it, but but the Ravens are taking on, and I know this was about 11 years before your time, they're taking on a cardiac kids vibe. That was the 1980 Cleveland Browns that constantly Stop were it. in these this. close games you did or you stop didn't this. yeah no you need to say I, I did see it and you need to stop it because you know what the history <laughs> and the colors and everything like that remains in wait cleveland. a minute the cardiac kids are a cleveland thing and don't you dip don't you dare don't you dare give that moniker to these dirty birds in baltimore I, I, they're a good team and that it's fine that they're winning, but they're not cardiac kids. That belongs to the Cleveland Browns. Thank you very much, Mike Florio. I think we can pull up the tape of someone. <laughs> I'm not sure who, maybe it was Shireen, someone on this program on, on your side of the bar Uh-oh. saying not that long ago that the Ravens are the Browns, that the no, Ravens I were said- the Browns. Yes, they have the infrastructure and everything from the organization, but all the records, all the names, all the franchise things still belong to Cleveland. So that cardiac kids thing still belongs to Cleveland, even if the organization technically, which it is, I mean, like I can't deny facts, the organization is the old Browns, but, but all of the other stuff, it still belongs to my city. So don't you dare. Mm-mm. Well, Setting up the non-cardiac kids' victory on Sunday against Detroit, the 66-yard field goal by Justin Tucker, a play before that, there was an issue with the play clock going to zero, and as we calculated it on Football Night in America, 1.57 seconds elapsed between the time the play clock went to zero and the start of the play, and in that interim, there was no flag thrown for delay of game. Dan Campbell explained today and obviously he's the head coach of the Lions first year head coach looking for his first win and here we see the play clock running down it hit zero and the ball is snapped well after it hit zero and again we calculated it on Sunday to be 1.57 seconds it actually felt a little bit longer than that but Campbell said the NFL told him that delay of game is a subjective call and that surprised a lot of people Miles but it doesn't surprise me because Yeah, been there, done that. 2008, Ravens against the Titans in a playoff game. Terry McCauley, now with NBC as a rules analyst, was the referee in that game. He gave basically the identical explanation to the world after the game in the pool report that Scott Novak, the referee in this Ravens-Lions game, gave to the world. It's, It's a mechanical issue. The back judge is watching the clock. The back judge sees the clock go to zero. The back judge looks to see if the ball is snapped, and if it's not, 
the back judge commences the process of killing the play. But there's some time built in, and there's no guarantee the back judge actually is paying attention when the clock goes to zero. You are relying upon a human element there. So, yes, it is subjective. There is no shot clock. And at one point I thought we should have a shot clock, a really loud buzzer like basketball. But you know what would happen is teams like the Patriots would take advantage of it and they would run it right down and they'd hope that that shot clock would go off and the defender would kind of stop a little bit, right? And it would be very distracting if you run it right down to zero and no one intervenes before it hits zero, just like when a shot clock goes off, when a ball's in the air. I just think in football right. it could be a problem and it could be used to the advantage of an offense if they if – they, engineer things the right way so i don't know what the right solution is people have suggested to me a, a vibrating device in the pocket of the of the back judge that tells him to blow the whistle and then throw the flag i, I don't i don't know i don't know what it takes i don't like this process because it builds in that subjectivity it builds in the possibility of human error and it invites those who would say rigged that's my concern hashtag rigged sad exclamation point Okay, well, if why do you got to do that, man? Well, but if I think that what? that's what they see, would now say, you just made me I, now you just made me lose my train of thought almost. Okay, I think I have it back. So if you have a sky judge, right, and that sky judge is able to buzz down and signal like, hey, this place should be dead because they are monitoring the situation, then that could also be one of these different solutions. Because um, MDS pointed it out in the post that we have on the website about. Uh, Dan Campbell saying this, that just what you were just saying, that there's a shot clock in basketball and there's a loud buzzer and everybody understands that. And I think if you have somebody who is literally their job is to watch the clock, right? And if this thing, the snap goes off after the clock goes down to zero, it does change a bit of the mechanics of what everybody has to do, but people adapt to different rule changes. Look at what we were seeing with Tawny, even though the rules not change, the point of emphasis is, I know that. But I, I think that that could be one of those things where you have a solution from a sky judge who then would say immediately, if the ball is snapped after it goes down to zero, blow this play dead, use your whistles. And, you know, sometimes things are very, very loud, but we often see this with false starts. If it's encroachment and they decide a neutral zone infraction and they decide that they want to stop the play before it goes too far, they do this all the time. So I think that there is a way to do this um, that is not necessarily a big buzzer or, you know, impeding somebody else's job, but there really should not be subjectivity when it comes to time. Time should not just be a construct that is, you know, within all of our minds. It, it shouldn't be that. I agree with you completely. It is very easy to rely upon the objectivity that is time. Every Friday, I know with certainty that we're another week closer to death. It there is linear. It is undeniable. And there needs to be a better way. And I don't know what the better way is, but it's incumbent on the stewards of the game to come up with a better way because this way isn't good enough. The explanation, well, this is the mechanics. We understand it's the mechanics, but how long is too long? Three seconds, four seconds? What? Right. What? Where is the outer limit? When do we know that someone has screwed up? It's the ultimate ability to say, hey, Stuff happens. Deal with it. If the whistle isn't blown, then it's not delay of game, and I don't like it. Here's what I do like. Some prop bets for the biggest regular season game mm. in years, if not ever, Tampa Bay at New England. We'll take a look at those when this Friday edition of PFTPM can... Want to make mom's day? 
Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Continues right after this. I haven't thought too much about it. I'm just going to try to do what I always do, go be a great quarterback. Um, obviously, understand the opponent, and I know all those guys. They're some of my great friends. They will be for the rest of my life. So um, I know a lot of coaches, players, the owners, the staff. Um, it'll be great to see everyone after the game, but up until game, I'm focused on trying to go win a football game. Man. I'm surprised he didn't tap out of his press conference yesterday. He sounds raspy. He sounds hoarse. Yeah, we wrote terrible. something about it. Uh, and and there were some naysayers like, oh, this is really a big story. It's like, well, you know what? If the quarterback <laughs> loses his voice, that's a problem. That's one of the things I'm very sensitive to in what we do. And there are times that I feel something coming on and you start to feel your voice going. And I go heavy on the tea and the honey and the rose mm-hmm. hips and the flavonoids. And I try to save my voice. And there have been times where I've just flat out lost it. And I've had to tap out for a day or two. Kind of hard to do a job when you talk if you can't. So, and, and I don't know. I mean, what, 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 should we just ignore it until his voice is gone? I think people should be aware that this guy sounds like crap right now. And we've yeah. all been there at some point in our lives, Miles, where you feel it coming. And there it goes. And then you're screwed for a couple of days. Wouldn't that be something if he loses his voice between now and Sunday? Now, I guess Dr. Needle could do something about it. I don't know what they could give him. You know, you could, but, you know, a lot of times you go to the doctor and they give you a, a steroid shot. Again, I don't know what substances you would get to get your voice back that would be on the list of the things you can't use from an NFL perspective. But these are all issues that potentially could become a thing for Tom Brady. Oh, I mean, I, I listen to that and I'm thinking, man, this dude needs to be on vocal rest. I mean, because it's just something that you're going to have to deal with. He calls the plays in the huddle every single play. So I don't know what you do if the quarterback loses their voice. Of course, it's a big deal because you need to hear what he says in the huddle before you go to the line of scrimmage. And then at the line of scrimmage, if he's making a check, he wants to can it, you know, he wants to kill the play. He wants to go to the different check or whatever it is. The quarterback's got to be able to talk. You're probably going to use a silent count if you're on the road, especially in the environment that we anticipate Gillette Stadium is going to be. But you don't use silent count on everything. So there are a lot of elements that go into this. So, yeah, I mean, for everybody's sake, I don't really want this to be something we have to talk about on Sunday. So I hope he's getting that tea, that honey, that lemon, whatever you need, Tom Brady. Get on vocal rest. Don't talk to your kids. Don't talk to your wife. I know that you love them. Don't talk to your family. But no more talking until you have to, because I want to hear you on Sunday. We'll keep doing the talking in the interim. Some prop bets from Points Bet Sportsbook. Tom Brady will have 68 or more passing yards in the first quarter. 68 yards gives him the all-time career record. It's minus 221 that he gets it done in the first quarter. That means you got to bet 221 to win 100. Do you think he gets there in the first quarter of the game, Miles? Yeah. I mean, that I works out to uh, – that works out to multiply by four. That's about 270-yard day. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he might even do it on the first drive. You know, I think that they could come out. That's the way Bruce Arians sort of has that personality where it's like, yeah, we're going to confront this thing head on and Brady's going to be here and Brady's going to do exactly what he needs to do. So I, I just feel like they could go down the field, throw five, six, seven passes. And if you get a touchback on that first drive and say you got the opening kickoff, then that's already 75 yards right there. So, I mean, I I think it's certainly possible for him to do it in the first quarter. Yeah, I think so too. And they should stop the game. They should make it a big deal. They should hope it taps into his emotions. They should have David Baker there with his white gloves. It's always important to have white gloves when you receive a football that's been used during a game. It's very important to cause no further, you know, exposure to anything to it. And of course, the laminated eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper that commemorates the the achievement they should just have drew Brees give his to tom brady because oh, drew yeah. will be there. be there tom brady yeah. to rush for more yards than his jersey number of 12 that's a plus 2000 prop 20 to 1 bet 100 win two grand i don't think this guy's gonna rush for 12 or more yards on sunday maybe i'm missing something he did have 14 last week but i would tend to think that he's not going to be able to get that number 12 uh, this week either. And, you know, it's just not something that he often does. And I think that the Patriots aren't going to play a defense that's probably conducive to him running very much, you know, and sometimes the Rams do that just based off of the way they play, play coverages and different things like that. So yeah, I don't, I don't see that happening, especially because last week, I believe Tom Brady led his team in rushing and that's just how bad uh, the rushing game was for the Buccaneers last week, I think that they want to write that ship and they want Ronald Jones. They want Leonard Fournette to be the guys running the football, not Tom Brady. Yeah. And, and again, I think there's a very good chance that Bill Belichick forces it toward the run because that's what the Buccaneers struggle to do. And we've seen some fumble issues from guys like Ronald Jones. Mm -hmm. Maybe you want those guys to have the ball in their hands, not the receivers or the tight ends. Tom Brady's longest completed pass to be greater than his age of 44 plus 130. Do we see the ball getting aired out and being caught 44 or more yards down the field, Miles? Oh, see, well, I was going to say yes, but I was thinking that it could be on a catch and run. As somebody like Antonio Brown, you know, you get it to him on the short field or, you know, a quick pass, and then he makes a couple guys miss, and then boom, he's 45 yards down the field. He certainly has the capability of doing so. So I, I think that it certainly could be. Uh, a longer pass than 44 yards, but I don't necessarily know that it'll be through the air. Not that Tom Brady can't do it. I don't know that they'll ask him to do it, Mike. Yeah, I agree with you. It would come on something like that, especially if they're committed to taking away the deep ball, the no risk it, no biscuit, the slow to develop play that allows him to throw the ball down the field. All right. How about this hypothetical? The Brady Belichick post-game embrace prop, which would have the best odds, a hug, a handshake, or nothing at all? The best odds, so the most likely to happen is the question that we're asking here? Okay, yes. 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 So I think the the most likely to happen is the hug. And it'll start with the handshake, and then they'll embrace one another because they don't want it to be a conversation as to, like, why was it only a handshake? Why didn't they acknowledge each other at all? Because we're going to talk about that for another week if that is what happens. And I don't think that these two men want anything to do with this game after it happens until maybe after the season. Right. And it, I don't think it matters who wins. They want to be able to say, yeah, we're on to Cincinnati or whoever else the Patriots and Buccaneers are playing in week five. They don't, I don't think they're going to want to talk about this anymore. 
right? And yes, it's going to be something that they hold privately inside with a lot of pride. But I, don't, I don't know that they want this to be a conversation piece. So I think there's going to be a hug. I agree with you. Now, I won't rule out the possibility of nothing at all in the event that there's some sort of crazy outcome and Tom Brady hightails it to the locker room, although I don't even think he could pull the Nick Foles thing on Bill Belichick. You know, Brady's done that to Foles on multiple occasions. I don't think Brady's brain can process, my God, I've lost to this guy. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that and the Super Bowl. Um, I, I'd like to go off the board and say there's a good chance – we're going to see that very aggressive handshake where the person pulls in really tight. There's a certain person who does that really pull, pull them, like try to knock them over handshake. Yeah. Who was that? Uh, Schwartz and Harbaugh when that happened in Detroit? Was that who that was? No, that was, that was different. That, 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 that was different. That, oh, that's that, not that, but I'm, talking I'm talking about somebody oh. who usually wears a suit and tie. Yeah. Oh, um, interesting. Well, coaches wear suit and ties when they give their introductory press conferences. Well, right, but I'm talking more about something that would happen on the field. Uh, speaking of the Schwartz and Harbaugh, I got to go, but it, it reminded me since I'm, I'm thinking of it, the gratuitous plug for my book, Playmakers. I have, a, I, have an, I have an entire chapter that focuses on what preceded that, what prompted it, the message Jim Harbaugh was trying to send, how Jim, Har- Jim Schwartz reacted to it. There's, there's a story behind the story. Some of it's come out before, but some of it hasn't. So anyway, it's one of the chapters in in Playmakers, which comes out March 15. You can pre-order it now wherever books are sold. Let's take a break. When we return, what we can't wait to see week four of the 2021 NFL season. We'll be back with more PFTPM right after this. All right, week four is upon us. We saw it get started last night with a very good game between the Jaguars and the Bengals. What can't we wait to see when Sunday rolls around? Miles, give me item number one for you. All right, I'm going with one of the undercard matchups this weekend because, I mean, everybody knows we all can't wait to see Tom Brady in New England. But I'm really looking forward to seeing who is going to stay undefeated in the NFC West between the Rams and the Cardinals. These are two good teams, but Sean McVay has absolutely dominated dominated the Arizona Cardinals since he's been the head coach. He's gone 8-0 against the Arizona Cardinals. And then also, he's, that means he's gone 4-0 over Cliff Kingsbury. Their last matchup came uh, week 17 of last season. That's when John Wolford had to make a start. We played pretty well in that game. But now you got Matthew Stafford against Kyler Murray. Really, I think the two leading candidates right now for most valuable player, unless you want to count Derek Carr in there as well. But you know, I just think that this is going to be a fun matchup. And I expect the Rams to win, but it probably could come down to the wire. Yeah, look, the Rams have not won by fewer than seven points in the last eight games against the Cardinals. It's amazing what the Rams have done to the Cardinals. The total point differential is 251 to 91 in the last eight games. I'll be stunned if the Rams don't win this one. Four and a half point favorite. That's one of my best bets of the week. I just, I think the Rams, and I, I, do, I already think the Rams are in a higher level. The Cardinals are 3-0, and but yeah. they should have lost to the Vikings. Guy can make a 37-yard field goal, you lose that game, and they, they played around with the Jaguars more than they should have. So uh, if the Rams lose, Cardinals win, Cardinals got my attention, full and complete mm-hmm. attention moving forward. All right, I, I, I'm going to go to the game of the weekend because I want to know how that New England offense will play. Mac Jones had three interceptions week three against the Saints. The offense did not look good. They've lost James White for the season. What will Josh McDaniels cook up? to try to beat the Todd Bowles defense 
to move the ball, score some points, and again, to go back to our high-level analytics, score more points than the other team, ergo win the game. So that New England offense has been vastly overlooked. Tampa Bay defense vastly overlooked. Tampa Bay defense is banged up. I, I want to know what Mac Jones and company will do. That is going to have a much bigger impact on the game than anyone is is uh, realizing, Miles. Yeah, it is, especially after Mac Jones threw three picks last week uh, against the New Orleans Saints. So uh, the, the thing that I'm next looking forward to seeing a little bit also on the East Coast was Andy Reid going back to Philadelphia for the second time as the Chiefs head coach. He did it in his first year um, as the Chiefs head coach way back in 2013. But now he's going for his 100th win as a Chiefs head coach if you include the postseason. And the Chiefs have not really gotten off to a great start here in 2021, but I really feel like this is a chance for them to have a get right game. And, you know, how can we not be romantic about football? As a quarterback just said earlier this week, uh, if you see Andy Reid get his hundredth win with the second team that he was a head coach for over his first team, that's a nice little fun coincidence, Mike. Absolutely, and it's one of these reunion games this weekend that gets overshadowed by Tom Brady. You've got Andy Reid for the second time ever going back to Philadelphia. It was a Thursday night week three of 2013 where he went back and won. I think they should win and will win convincingly. They need to win convincingly to get things back on track. Another reunion game, Kevin Stefanski, who survived through multiple administrations in Minnesota from 2006 through 2019, became the head coach of the Browns last year. He knows that Mike Zimmer defense, and that Mike Zimmer defense is system-based, not game-planning-based, and and, and I think Stefanski probably has something cooked up for how to – how to beat that defense and score enough points to win the game. I know the Vikings offense has been very good, and they may need to get into another shootout if they hope to win because I am curious to see what Stefanski has ready to take advantage of the soft spots, of the weaknesses, of the flaws in Mike Zimmer's defense. And uh, that's what I can't wait to see. And and their postgame handshake, and not that Zimmer is you – know, he's not got that Belichick reputation, but, but it's <laughs> – there was maybe a little a little something there when Stefanski left. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they interact at the end of that game. Ooh, that is something to keep an eye on. And the other thing I guess I'm keeping an eye on is going to be on Monday, and I know it's not the weekend, but I'm not on Monday show, so I'll say it anyway. Chargers, Raiders, Monday night football. I want to see if it's really going to be a home field advantage for the Raiders. And I feel like it's going to be, but I guess I should say how much of a home field advantage it's going to be because the last time the Raiders played in Southern California with fans, it was down at the soccer stadium down there in Carson. And it absolutely was a Raiders home game. I was covering that game for Las Vegas review journal. And I can tell you, man, that it was basically nothing but Raiders fans. And every time the Raiders did anything, or they needed a big defensive stop. The crowd got really, really loud. Derek Carr ran one into the end zone, and he was getting really fired up with the Raiders fans there. I think it's going to probably be kind of a similar atmosphere in this one, though there probably will be more Chargers fans. But if you listen, it's going to sound like a Raiders home game, Mike, because there are more Raiders fans in Los Angeles than there might be Chargers and Rams fans combined. Although the Rams have gotten a little bit better in that area. I don't know about the Chargers here. When the Chargers were playing in the 30,000-seat stadium and it was overrun by fans of the other team, the Chargers kind of had this attitude like, well, it'll be different when we're in a larger stadium. Well, how will it be different? It's, it may be worse. <laughs> 
It, it, may, right. it may be a hell of a lot more percentage-wise the same, but a lot more of the fans of the other team. It's what happens when you abandon a market for 20 years. You invite right. all the people who live there to pick and choose whatever teams they want. So when those teams come to town, hey, it's our chance to go see the Chiefs. It's our chance to go see the Vikings. It's our chance to go see the Colts, and they're going to fill it up. And the Raiders fans have always been there, dating back yeah. to the time that the Raiders were in Los Angeles. I agree with you. All right, last one for me. Are the Panthers ready for prime time? Specifically, are they ready for America's team? Are they ready to play a game against a team that they aren't really expected to beat? I know they weren't expected to beat the Saints, but the Saints had the whole COVID thing, and they were wandering all over the place because of the hurricane. And I, The Cowboys are firing on all cylinders. Dak Prescott looks great. The defense is improved. If the Panthers want to be a legitimate contender, they have to go in and go toe-to-toe with the Cowboys and beat them. And maybe they can't. Maybe they can, but I'll believe it when I see it on this one. I think the Cowboys win, but if the Panthers win, we definitely have to take them more seriously than we have, Miles. Especially if they don't have Christian McCaffrey. Yes, yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. Look, when you're talking about Sam Darnold, this is really his first, I think, really big, big test you know, as the Panthers QB. And he's got to be able to meet those expectations as the Panthers QB without Christian McCaffrey. Can he do it? We'll see. And it's not an if. I misspoke. It's a when. McCaffrey's out. So Sam yes. Darnold's going to have to get it done. The defense has been great. That defense, can it slow down the very the very diverse and potent Cowboys attack? They can run. They can throw. They can throw to a bunch of different guys. It, it really has gone very well. All right, let's take a break. When we return, we'll pop open the mailbag. PFTPM returns right after this. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. All right, a couple of questions on our way out the door here. Will your way. Percentage Watson gets traded before the trade deadline. Obviously, that's Deshaun Watson, Texans quarterback. November 2 is the deadline, 32 days away. Miles, what's your hunch? Oh, see, I want to say 50-50 and just like totally punt the question because that makes it yes or no. Um, but I, I think I'm going to go 65%. He gets traded 35%. He doesn't. And that is kind of based on Jay Glazer saying keeping an eye on it. Be, keep an eye on it because I just feel like he wouldn't just put that out there for no reason. Um, and at this point, it just we know that he's not going to play a game for the Texans ever again. We know he still wants to get traded. So it just is kind of a matter of will the team that he wants to go to give up enough for Houston? And if Houston's softening and all that, then it just feels like the wheels on this thing could really start moving, Mike. And that's the key. Glazer's report from Sunday that the Texans are softening their stance because for the Dolphins, the big impediment is what the Texans want. They've been doing their due diligence with the league. The league's not going to make any commitments about paid leave or anything like that until they have to. The Dolphins aren't concerned about short-term unavailability. They don't expect that he's going to go to prison. He's facing serious charges, but people have done their research. They've done their investigations. I think there's a level of comfort that he's not going to go away for 
an extended period of time, if at all, that this may be a misdemeanor he pleads guilty to. They do a plea bargain. They work it out. They resolve the cases. He has his reckoning. He does the right thing, as he should at some point, and then he moves forward with his career. He will play football again. This is a 10-year move for the Dolphins, not a two-year move. So I think I'll go a little higher. I'll go all the way to 75. I think it's going to happen. The key is the Texans being motivated to move, and the Dolphins are the one that's motivated to buy, they could get this deal done. They could get that contract transferred from the Texans to the Dolphins by November 2. Last question, John Pascal. More likely to get a new NFL franchise first, London or a second team in Chicago? Miles, your thoughts? Oh, well, what if I just push this one too and say it happens at the same time, right? I mean, based on what we're seeing with the Bears and then potentially going to Arlington Heights to build a stadium there, I mean, you're still going to have a really decent site for a stadium um, where Soldier Field is right now. And if you want one team in London, then you're going to want to put a second team somewhere because that would keep things balanced in terms of having an even number of teams so every team can play every single weekend. I I think that London is probably going to get an an NFL franchise here at some point in the next 10 years. I, I don't think that that is really too out of line for me to say, but you know, if you have one, then you're going to want to put a second somewhere. Maybe it is Chicago. How about this? Jacksonville. Sorry, folks in Jacksonville and an expansion oh. team in London. They got two stadiums there and an expansion oh. team in Chicago to share the stadium with the Bears at Arlington Heights. That gets the league to 34 total teams. And I think it's just a matter of time, Miles. I may not be around for it. You probably will be around oh. for it. Let's 40 so. NFL teams. 40 NFL teams. They're going to want to increase the inventory. The one way to do it is add more teams. That's it for now. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the game Sunday night. We'll see you back here on Monday. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.